a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, which is the Up and Up community. It is a community that I just launched with my friend, Anthony Natoli. Um, it is a private sales community that's helping you all get not only crush your sales goals and your career goals, but also trying to stay fulfilled and mentally healthy and become a better person in the process, which is easier said than done. So if that's interesting to you, head over to patreon.com slash up and up, or hit me up on LinkedIn. My name's Tom Alemo, and uh, the link will be there in my the featured section of my profile, or uh, you could DM me with any questions. All right, next up on the Millennial Sales Podcast, we have Jennifer Welsh coming at us with all things personal finance. Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Tom. I am. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. Um, I've been following your content for for quite a while. Uh, got introduced to you through your husband, and uh, have been following you on LinkedIn for quite some time. We've got a lot of listeners that are interested in personal finance, so uh, we're excited to dive in on all that with you. Cool. Um, so first, before we um, before we get to the nitty gritty of like what to do and, and everything, I'd love to learn a little bit about your story uh, as it relates to personal finance. So. Um, was this something that like always caught your interest? Like as a, as a child, like you were getting taught about stocks and, you know, budgets and things like that. Or when did this actually like, you know, the light bulb kind of go off for you? Like, no, not even <laughs> a little bit. In fact, my, you know, as I grew up, my parents were both bankers. And then when I was like 12 or something like that, my dad became a stockbroker and that's what he did until he retired. So I grew up with uh, parents in financial industries but it was not something that we like talked about at the dinner table. Um, I can't say that my parents, you know, taught me a lot about personal finance or the value of, of, of saving money or investing at all when I was growing up. Um, so I think, you know, like a lot of people, uh, I grew up and didn't know anything about personal finance and it wasn't interesting to me. And the stock market uh, just kind of felt like a foreign language. Despite my dad being a stockbroker, I was not interested in it growing up. It was just kind of like, I didn't understand what my dad did. Uh, I just knew he got really big commission checks sometimes. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I so I went off to college not knowing anything about personal finance. And my parents told me I'd worked a lot in high school, kind of earned my own money. And my parents did not want me to have a job my first year of college. Um, so during that time when I didn't have a job, I was literally on the college campus, like so many people have this happen to them, I think, and uh, I was offered a credit card, I got a $10,000 line of credit, and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And so I quickly spent all that money on a bunch of shit that I didn't need, because mm. um, I didn't know any better. And I didn't understand how interest works. I'm sure I had the worst interest rate in the world. Um, so no, I didn't, you know, short, short answer is no, I didn't grow up with any interest or knowledge about personal finance. And, you know, because of that, got myself into a ton of trouble when I was 18 years old. So <laughs> you get the credit card, which they just send you in the mail. You don't even have to do anything for that, probably. Um, and you just start using it. When did it kind of like, I guess, like when did when did like it, one plus one equal two come together where you're like, oh, I have to pay for like all 10,000 of those dollars that I just spent? Like, how did that go down? Yeah, I think it was kind of, it was really gradual. I remember a specific point. So it was after my first year of college, I did get a job and I was a cocktail waitress in a bar in the town that I went to college in. And I was making a, I was making a lot of money. I remember I would make two or $300 all the time. This is like in 1998, it was a long, yeah. long time ago. I was making good money. Um, and I remember that, you know, despite having plenty of cash and my parents were also helping me out a little bit, despite having 
reasonable financial resources, I was spending money like a crazy idiot. Um, and I remember that balance getting up to $4,000. And I remember being really worried about that. And then it kind of shifted into justifying it. Like you talk to other people who say, oh, I have $25,000 of debt. And I, you know, I started thinking, oh, $4,000 isn't that bad. And it got up to seven, it would worry me. And then I would, you know, I would justify it. So when it got up to, you know, when it got up to $10,000, I don't remember exactly how that went down, but it's, it, it, it was something that kind of weighed on me, but I kept getting more credit. I always paid on time. So they extend a higher credit limit. And, you know, probably when it got to $10,000, I got another credit card. This is a really long time ago. So it's hard to remember those details, but when it started to sink in on, uh, you know, it didn't, I, I would say it didn't, it, I, I can't say that there was a moment where it sank in, but it, it just grew slowly over time. And it was a, a cycle of being really worried about it and then justifying it by thinking other people had it much worse or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, the accumulation of that, the debt that it eventually was like $32,000 or something like that. It happened over a long period of time. Um, so, yeah, there, there was, uh, there was just, I, I kind of remember the moment where I was like, I have to do something different. I can't keep living like this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a slow, painful, gradual, like buildup. Yeah. And then, um, what were you studying and like, what was your, what was your initial job out of school? Like, were you starting to make decent money after school? Uh, not, no, not really. I went to school for public relations and my minor was yeah. writing. And so of course I got a job that had nothing to do with that when I graduated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd been, at, you know, working in restaurants through my college career, uh, or through my college years. So I got a job doing like marketing for a restaurant called True Lux in Austin, Texas. Um, and I was like hosting and doing marketing, but I was, you know, I was making like $32,000 a year or something like this. And I was really accustomed to, my parents had been helping me out through college. I'd been subsidizing a lifestyle that I could not afford with credit cards. And I also had been making pretty good money as a waitress in college. So when I stopped waiting tables and started just making like a salary of $32,000 a year, um, I, uh, I had this like sushi champagne lifestyle and I did not have the salary to support it. So I just kind of continued to use these credit cards and get more credit offered to me. And I, you know, took it. I always paid on time. I had a good credit score. So that actually made the problem worse. Um, So yeah, I graduated, you know, I, I, I got into my first job. No, not making very much money, but having a very inflated lifestyle, just one mistake after another, really. So what was kind of like the turning point for you where you decided to maybe you figured out what was going on and decided to like kind of take a hold of your own finances and then became like obviously interested in learning about that. And then eventually, you know, nowadays, like educating others on it. Yeah. um, Gosh, like the defining moment where I was like, I have to get rid of this debt was when I talked to a girl, I was talking to a girlfriend, like we were like having a glass of wine one night at her house. And I'm, and I didn't tell a lot of people that I had $32,000 of credit card debt. And I mentioned it to her kind of in confidence and she was clearly stunned by it. And that's what something about her response was, um, 
like I realized like this is really bad. I have to do something about it. I can't I can't keep doing this. So I was kind of living with it internally. And it was something that I think weighed on me, but I didn't really acknowledge very much. And that was the time when I was like, I have to do something different. It's just going to get worse. So it was kind of out of being like a little maybe embarrassed in front of my friend, but also just her, her reaction just kind of woke me up somehow. Um, so I decided I would pay off my credit card debt. I made a plan to do that um, and I paid it off. Um, you know, I, I, I was just kind of scared straight, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. I don't remember how old I was exactly when that happened, um, but I, I got a 0% interest credit card. I consolidated all my debt and it was only 0% for 24 months. And so I considered that 24 month mark, my deadline, like I have 24 months to pay this off. And um, instead of saying, I'm gonna pay this much per month, I actually made weekly payments. Mm -hmm. um, and so every Sunday I logged in and paid that credit card. Uh, I paid like $300 a week or something like that. And uh, I enjoyed the, like I, I was motivated by the traction, but I just was like, I'm gonna stop doing a lot of stuff that I was wasting money on to to pay that debt off. Um, so that's how I, you know, I got rid of that debt. And once I paid that off, I was determined and still am determined never to let that happen again. And I try to help other people with that too, because I know what a bad, like just what a drag it is on your psyche and your confidence and all the, all these, you know, it's, it's heavy mentally. Um, so then I didn't have debt anymore. But I also wasn't necessarily focused on personal finance for quite a long time. Um, in 2008, I kind of flirted with the stock market, invested a little bit, no idea what I was doing, but I was very interested in it. And um, over the years, I ended up selling stocks that I owned. I treated my investment account like an ATM machine, like really I did, yeah. uh, which is, I'm, I'm regretful of that, but you know, we live and we learn. Um, yeah. So I kind of, uh, I, I moved to New York, uh, got this job where I had my first 401k in my life and I, I was investing in my 401k, but I kind of forgot about my E-Trade account. It, eventually I sold those stocks when I needed money. And it wasn't until 2020 when COVID started and the whole world was like shutting down and the stock market crashed that I became interested once again in investing just because I really hadn't been paying attention to the stock market very much for years. I wasn't even like logging into my 401k and looking at that. I was maxing out my contributions, but I wasn't paying much attention to it. Yeah. And so the stock market crashed and I was like, I just remembered what my dad, my dad, stockbroker dad told me in 2008 when the economy crashed. I was living in Chicago actually at the time um, and I was waiting tables. And he said, the, everything's on sale. So 2020 comes along and I'm like, everything's on sale. I should dust off my old E-Trade account. And uh, so I, once again, just picked up this hobby, just very interested in reading about the stock market, reading about companies, learning all the terminology. And like, I could just read about it all day. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm just like very interested in it. Um, my husband was like, I don't want to hear about the stock market anymore. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I convinced him. I was like, we got to start investing in the stock market. We had, a, we had a financial advisor at the time who had been kind of doing it for us. And we were contributing a little bit every month, but we got serious about doing it much more. And I just became totally consumed with it. Um, so uh, yeah, it's like an old hobby that came back a couple of years ago. And you and you've also dusted off that minor in uh, writing uh, because you're you you've made quick. It's it's surprising to hear that you didn't really 
take it seriously until that's like two ish years ago, because you've taken LinkedIn by storm. Uh, I'm sure your, your own finances are flourishing, but just by helping to educate others. And I feel like you've made such a quick, uh, like added such value and grown so quickly uh, on the platform, with just kind of speaking about this every day. Yeah. Um, thanks for like, thanks for reading my stuff and it, <laughs> it has been really interesting. What happened was, um, so I was like, um, excited about the stock market. It's like 2020, 2021. And so I'm talking to friends about it, family. I'm talking about any, I'll talk to anybody about it who will listen or expresses interest. And so I start talking to a few different friends and one of my friends had this kind of crazy thing happened in her life. Um, and long story short, she ended up getting $2 million all at once. Wow. Um, she already is like a successful, smart person who's doing great in her career, but she wasn't doing that great in her career. And I didn't know that she actually got this money until um, a year, like 2021, mid 2021, she told me about it. Um, and she is this smart, successful person, but that money had been, when she tells me about it, says it has been sitting in a savings account for the last year, you know, earning nothing. Yeah. And the last year was when COVID happened and the stock market crashed. It was literally perfect time to start investing. And when I learned that from my friend, another friend had a similar but different story. Um, I realized that even the smartest, most successful people, a lot of them have no idea how to manage the basics of their personal finance. Um, people know how to make a lot of money, but people don't know what to do with their money necessarily. And so um, my friend who that happened to and my husband, a um, couple of friends who I'd been talking to about investing, encouraged me like, you should talk about this on LinkedIn. And I didn't think anyone would be interested. I, I truly didn't. And so, you know, to just respond to your comment, it's been really interesting to grow really fast and have such good engagement on that platform because I didn't expect it, but I think it really underscores the fact that people are hungry for personal finance information that is, you know, spoken in plain English and easy to understand and easy to digest and I things that they can, you know, um, implement in their lives. And I think that the, you know, the financial world has a lot of jargon and the financial industry is highly incentivized to make everyone feel intimidated because the more we feel intimidated, the more we think we need somebody else's help and we can't do it on our own. And people, I think people have a uh, yeah, I want to empower people that they can invest on their own. They don't, they don't need anybody's help to do that. But anyway, the financial industry makes things very complicated. And I, I hate that. So I'm passionate about, you know, talking to people, you know, LinkedIn is my, my platform, but I'm very excited about talking to people. And the more people the want, the more people want, the more I'm, in, you know, encouraged and excited to share. So it's been, um, it's been really fun and really rewarding. And, I, I really love it. So I didn't expect it. I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, and it, my platform or my, uh, my following has grown really fast. And I just, I think people, people want to learn about money. They don't have a lot of resources. Yeah. Well, it's something that that doesn't get talked about. And I'd love to transition this more to, to the sales lens. Um, because, you know, anyone that's listening knows, you know, if you're in sales, you, you start out as an SDR, you might be making 40, 50, 60,000 a year. And if you're living in a big city like San Francisco or New York, 
that's not getting you too far. Um, but if you do well, you know, within a few years, you could be making six figures within a few more years, you could be making well into six. And there's people that have been selling for 10 years, 15 years that, you know, make a million dollars plus, and maybe you mm -hmm. join the right startup and you yeah. get a huge, uh, you get a huge stock bonus. And so without education, you know, we've, we've seen through a lot of, you know, entertainers and athletes and people like that, that get huge fortunes and they, they blow it all. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like someone that's listening to this, you know, whether they're just starting or maybe even they've been in, in sales for a while and just haven't taken this seriously. Maybe they're in the, the credit card debt like you were back then, or they just haven't really paid much attention, but want to up their financial literacy. Like where would you even start? Well, I think that, I think the best, like when I talk to people, I think the, the baseline thing to understand, especially people that are early in their careers, is that time is the most valuable resource we have. It's not renewable. You know, you can always get more money. You can always, you know, you can, you, a lot of uh, resources are renewable, but time is not. And I think it's really easy to think, oh, I'm 25. I have lots of time. I'll save later. I'm only 29. I'm only 31. But ultimately, investing and saving and being smart with your money is like diet and nutrition and exercise. Um, it's not like you're going to have bad habits and then one day you're going to become 35 and start eating well and exercising. So it's a habit uh, or personal finance and personal responsibility for your finances is a habit that um, is really important to start working on as early as possible. And the earlier you start working on this habit, um, the smaller amount you can do, like you can do a little bit consistently for a really long period of time and get great results, but you can't wait until the end and try to make up for it. Doesn't yeah. work, it doesn't work like that. You can't be yeah. You can't be 48 and decide to get serious. I talk to people that are in that boat a lot and they're filled with regret and they, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation with that happens. So I think like the, the first thing is to recognize the benefit of time. Um, there's a saying that people repeat a lot, but it says time in the market um, is better than trying to time the market is better than timing the market. Um, so when you have the benefit of time on your side at a young age, there's nothing more valuable. And if you start a habit of saving and investing just a small portion of your income, it can be 5%. It could be less. I think the, the most important thing is to start the habit of setting aside the money, paying yourself first, you know, is what, is what they say. Um, as a habit, as soon as you can, it doesn't matter how much you're putting aside. It matters that you're doing it consistently and that um, it's not negotiable. Like pay yourself first, um, even if it's a small amount and you can, as your income grows, you can always say, okay, I'm going to take this 5% to 7% and challenge yourself to raise it 1% a year or 1% a quarter or something like that. But I think the, the most important thing is to build a habit early on versus thinking that one day you'll get responsible later because we don't wake up and change bad habits. Like because we're 35 all of a sudden, it just doesn't work like that. In fact, when you wait, like the longer you wait, the more you have this like bad habit of ignoring your finances or ignoring your future finances. So recognizing the benefit of time and starting a habit, no matter how small the contributions are, just getting started and sticking to it is the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's, that's really powerful. And, you know, one thing you mentioned about your friend with uh, the $2 million, which I think we're all 
envious of like, you know, having 2 million in, in a savings account, but obviously that's not, it's not growing if it's only shrinking in value because of in, inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say we, we've, we've earned that, like we you've sold us on the idea of like the 5%, you know, I'm an SDR, but I can, I can handle the 5%. I'm going to go out one less night per week or whatever it is. Um, what do we actually do with that? Like, where do you put that money? Yeah. So, well, and maybe we should start this by saying this is not financial advice and whatever other stuff that the SEC wants us to say. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, right. I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. Actually. I encourage people that they, I try to teach people that they don't need a financial advisor. I think a lot of people yeah. think that they can't that they have to have someone else to help them. And it's quite easy to do it on your own. So I'm glad you asked this question, um, but I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a stockbroker. I don't tell people what to buy. I don't tell people what to do, um, but I'll tell, I, I, I educate people about what's possible and how to think about it. So uh, yeah, so you've decided you're going to put your X percentage or 5% a month or whatever um, aside. Um, I think about saving and investing in buckets of time. Um in the or, this is the order I like to think about it in. This is kind of maybe controversial, but this is the way I like to think about it. Long bucket gets filled up first. The long bucket is retirement. And by retirement, I'm talking about age 59 and a half and later. And the reason I, it's not that you have to wait till you're 59 to retire, but retirement vehicles like IRAs and 401ks are designed for the money to be withdrawn after age 59 and a half. If you take the money out sooner, you have to pay penalties for that. So when you're saving for retirement, you don't want to touch it. The reason I fill up the long bucket first, that means like max out your 401k, you know, max out any kind of retirement vehicles you're eligible for. If you're not employed, if you're self-employed, you can contribute to something called a SEP IRA, where you can contribute up to 25% of your income per year or $58,000. Um, So anyway, there's like fill up your retirement buckets first. People say, shouldn't I have emergency savings in place first? There's different ways to think about it. But um, I think of a retirement bucket to be filled up first, because if you have an excuse not to contribute to your 401k, oh, I'm working on my emergency savings. I find that people will continue to find excuses to never do it. And I like my philosophy is make that a staple in your life. You do it first. The money comes out of your paycheck automatically and you learn to live with the leftovers. So like the first thing is fill up your long bucket every year, every paycheck, whatever it is. Um, The second bucket is the short-term bucket, which is, um, any money you might need like in the next couple of years. So emergency savings, like what if you lose your job? What if your dog has to have surgery? What if you have a medical emergency and you can't work for a while? Um, That's uh, money that I keep in a high yield savings account. So you kind of have to figure out, I have some formulas uh, for how you figure out what your your emergency savings cash number should be. But I fill up the emergency cash bucket second and then the third bucket is the fun bucket. I call that the medium term bucket. So it's not money I need right now, but I want to have access to it before age 59. So that's the medium term bucket. So once I've contributed to my retirement stuff and filled up my emergency bucket, the rest of like all of my 5% that I'm going to contribute would go into this medium term bucket. And that's where I invest in the stock market. Um, and what are, um, I guess when we're thinking about this, you know, obviously we we don't have the time and, uh, to get into like every single pick, because when you 
contribute to a 401k. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. And obviously with stocks and, and everything. Um, but for those that like are interested, you know, what are some good resources that you'd recommend for folks that like, you know, want to get more financially literate and, you know, want to learn this, you know, just this system of, of, you know, go on the path to knowledge around understanding like where to actually invest that within the stock market or 401k and, and everything. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Well, obviously they can follow me. Um, yeah. I, have a, I have a weekly newsletter. I write on LinkedIn every day, but I'll tell you some sources of inspiration for me and some places yeah. where I learn a lot. Um, and I will say, I will, I will add to that. Um, I've gone through the amateur moves of like wanting to pick stocks, which I think is very, um, seductive to people who want to get into the stock market and they're excited about different companies and they heard about something from their friend and their dad and all these kinds of things. Um, but I've come around from, from, you know, reading some of these things that I'm going to tell you about, um, to being a big fan of broad market index funds. So instead of picking companies, you're just investing in the whole stock market. Um, but some resources that I think are great are, um, there's a great book that's probably my favorite money book. It's called The Psychology of Money. It's written by- So a guy good. Have you, have you read it? Yeah, I loved it. That's probably my favorite finance book too. It's just so good by Morgan Housel. I, I recommend it to people all the time and everybody loves it. And it's probably time for me to just read it again. Um, there's another book called The Simple Path to Wealth by a guy named J.L. Collins. Um, fantastic book as well. Um, um, there's a lot of people on YouTube I like, but there's this one couple and their channel is called My Rich Journey. And they're this uh, fire couple, which, you know, they're all about financial independence, retire yeah. early. They were, the, they were like, to, they worked for the government and they retired early. And now they like live in Portugal and they're all about index investing. And they have a whole YouTube channel and like Instagram, all these different things. And they talk about how they invest their money. They kind of, they share all the details. They're, um, they're really great. Um, but I am specifically in just, interested in um, like index investing. I'm interested in dividend income. So I like these resources because they're related to, to, to what I'm interested in the stock market. Um, so I think it's really important for anybody who's ready to start investing to think about how, how they want to invest and what they're interested in and find resources that suit their interests. Because you know, a lot of people are like active traders. I'm not a trader. Um, a lot of people invest in crypto. I don't do that. Um, so I think it's important to kind of decide what you're interested in and what you want to invest in. But if people are interested in learning about basics of the stock market, those resources that I just mentioned are great. So um, I love that. And um, I remember seeing, I don't know if it was you or, or Justin or both of you had posted a while ago, about some sort of like money routine that you have every week. Mm -hmm. um, it was probably, I think it was you. It, it, I'm paraphrasing you, obviously correct me where I'm wrong, but it's something around like you have a meeting every Friday or Saturday morning or something like that. And you go yeah. through like, okay, here's what we earned. You know, here's what our expenses were. And then like, here's literally like, you know, that's whatever, a thousand dollars is left over. Now we're going to put it into these like four buckets and like, do the, could you, could you fill in the gap somewhere? I, uh, yeah. I stumbled over myself there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, you got it right, pretty good. Um, we have a money meeting every Saturday morning. 
Um, and we both are self-employed, so we have variable income. Like it's not, it's not always uh, steady like a paycheck. Um, and so with that, we also have to pay, we pay taxes quarterly, but we don't have taxes coming out of our paycheck. So as self-employed people, it's especially important to keep close tabs on our income and our outgoing, our, our, our money that's um, going out. So we, we meet every Saturday morning to talk about this. We look at, we, we record in a spreadsheet how much money we made. We look at all of our spending, we record how much money we uh, spent and we put a percentage of, we put 30% in an account that is just saving it for taxes. So it's just, it's in a, it's in a high yield savings account, but we know we have to set that aside for taxes. Um, we put 30% in an investment account. So we put that um, over in my E-Trade account and I invest it. And then the 40% that's left over, we consider that our living allowance. And so um, it's a good way to just keep tabs on like, oh, why did we spend so much money last week? And we talk about it and we say, well, it was so-and-so's birthday or we went on vacation or whatever. But what we've realized is like, there's always a reason why it happens. So it's uh, it's good for keeping us aware of our uh, our spending behaviors. Um, but we uh, we contribute, to, you know, we have to save for taxes. We don't want the quarter to come up and we're like, oh, we weren't planning on paying all these taxes. So it's just like a good system for keeping, keeping everything in order and keeping close tabs on what we're making, what we're spending. And we we invest religiously every week. Yeah, I love that idea. And um, on top of that, something that I was interested in, and I feel like I could use a little, I could use a little back and forth because I'm curious on uh, the term lifestyle creep. And I think I've seen, I'm not sure if I've seen you post about it. I've definitely seen a lot of financial people talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's the, the general sense of like, as you make more money, your cost of living tends to go up and you know, if you, if those two numbers are equally going up at the same rate, then you, you can't save or invest more money, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm curious how you think about that for a salesperson, right? Where you can start off whatever 50 K, you know, year or two in you're making six figures, then it can, it can keep going up. Um, and I think there's something to be said about, you obviously want the gap to grow larger for how much you can invest. You're talking about 30%, which is yeah. a, a lot. Um, but there's also something to be said about, well, you know, I'm 30. I've been selling for eight years. I don't want to live the same life I did as a 22 year old straight out of college eating, mm -hmm. you know, slices of pizza every night. And so could you talk to me a little bit about, I know it's probably more art than science, but just how you think about that concept. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't call myself by any stretch of the imagination a frugal person. I think, you know, I talked to somebody the other day and she said, I don't know if I'm as frugal as you. And I was like, wait, I'm not frugal <laughs> at all. I don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest that. Um, and I don't think, I don't like, I don't even like the word frugal, to be honest. So I am definitely not advocating for people to live on like a, a beer and pizza lifestyle as they get more successful in their careers. Um, I think that as you work hard, and you work harder and like work and, and having a career is so stressful, especially at a young age when you're like navigating the world and figuring things out. And I think it's very important to celebrate and reward yourself. So there's like a couple of, there's a couple of ways I would respond to that. Um, ultimately, you know, one of my favorite things to recommend to people is um, to define your top three priorities. Not what you think should be your priorities or what your mom thinks you should do or what society thinks you should do. I think it's it's good to be really honest with yourself. And if you have a partner, work on this together. 
but what are your top three priorities? It can be anything you want, but you got to force rank your priorities and define your top three. And when you like, for example, we love to travel. So traveling is absolutely a priority and we make room for that in our budget because we, it's, it's so important to us. So it can be anything. It can be anything you want, but choose your top three things and indulge on the things that matter to you and be cheap about everything else. Because obviously, if we want, like, there's too many, uh, there's too many seductive things in this world. We can't spend money on everything. We can't have the best apartment and the best clothes and go on the best vacations and eat at the best restaurants if we hope to save money and invest and be financially, um, be, be financially successful. So I think it's, uh, I think it's really important to define your priorities. And when you decide that you're giving yourself permission in your budget to spend money on the things or indulge on the things that are your top priorities, it becomes really easy to be like, you know, make the trade-offs and say, I'm not going to waste money or I'm not going to be excessive in this category because I'm so excited about traveling, for example. Right. So I am going to, I'm, I'm going to be, um, I'm, I'm going to be cheaper over here so that I can indulge in these things that really matter. Um, I think that that is, I think that's the first like good way to think about it. Um, so yes, indulge, and it makes it very easy. It makes it easier to to not waste money elsewhere. Um, but I also think it kind of goes back to so you start making more money, you want to enjoy the money you're making. Um, just pay yourself first. So like if you go from making let's say let's say over a span of a couple of years, you know, especially in sales where people can start making a lot more money, you start off making maybe 50k, and then all of a sudden you're making 120k in two or three years, and um, it's tempting to get the best car because your friends are driving nice cars or whatever. I think if you have a system in place to pay yourself first, like let's go back to that, you know, when you were making 50K, you were putting aside that 5% every month and maybe it's increased. And now as you make more money, you know, maybe it's up to 10% now. Pay yourself first, do it religiously and then get whatever car and clothes and stuff you want. I think when you're paying yourself first and sticking to your plan, one, um, one benefit of that is that you don't have to feel guilty for the stuff you buy or the stuff you get. Um, because you're like, I've, I've taken care of my, my bills and my savings. And so it kind of gives you permission to enjoy your money instead of thinking like, oh, I know I shouldn't be spending this much money. Um, so I think like, yes, we all want our, you know, we all want to get a better apartment or buy a house or get a better car. And I think, all of that is perfectly okay as long as you're paying yourself first. And if you're making more and more money, it's a really smart idea to increase that percentage of savings, but do it slowly. You know, I think a lot of people that are like trying to cut their spending or increase their savings, create unrealistic goals. You know, I'm spending $500 a month on groceries and I'm going to spend $100 a month next month. Well, that's not realistic. Try to spend 450 the following month and then 400 the next month. So um, increase your savings slowly, decrease your spending slowly. Don't try to like become a different person overnight because it never, you know, it never lasts. Yeah. That's such great advice. And um, you know, one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about before we get to some of the rapid fires and, and everything like that is I know part of the business that you have is consulting um, I, I'm paraphrasing, but like successful females in business on, on how to handle their personal finances. So I'd love to hear like why, why that's the, the niche or like why that's the, yeah. the target and yeah. how that maybe differs from, from men, like how what men and women in your opinion tend to differ in terms of like what the financial either challenges or questions or opportunities are. Yeah. Um, so when I started offering coaching, 
um, maybe a year and a half ago, I would just help anyone. And I still, I still do. I, I talk to people of all stripes. I talk to men, women, young people, older people. Um, but, uh, and I can't say that men and women necessarily had different questions or different kinds of problems. I have not noticed any trends in like the, the of, of anything different between sexes necessarily. Um, but I've talked to many women who told me that they booked a call with me because they felt like the, they, they see the financial industry is the financial industry is such a male dominated space, which I think it definitely is. And a lot of women said, I booked a call with you because I like your voice on LinkedIn. You seem down to earth, but I wanted to talk to a woman. And I thought that's really interesting. And I've had some financial advisors that I've worked with that were men and I didn't, I wasn't very fond of them. Um, and so I understood what, what they were saying. And some women told me about bad experiences they had with talking to men about money um, or that they felt intimidated or they felt talked down to and some different things like this. And I just heard that a lot from my customers. Like I booked with you because you're a woman, I'm a woman, I wanted to talk to a woman. And I had been interested in kind of niching down anyway. And I found myself enjoying the conversations with women more, probably just because we could relate to each other more. Um, so I found myself really enjoying talking to successful women who had money, but didn't know what to do with it. Kind of like my friend with the $2 million. Um, because I mean, I, I, I like to give people all kinds of financial tips, but you know, I am more excited to help someone who's like, Hey, I'm making all this money and I want to invest it rather than like, Hey, I have tons of debt and I don't know what to do about it. I can give somebody like that guidance yeah. for sure, but it's more fun for me to work with successful women who want to learn how to supercharge their finances. That's like, that gets me excited. So I just decided to niche down just out of just enjoying those customers um, that I had chatted with that kind of fell into that category. Yeah. I love it. Um, well, I think it's, it's very much needed. And um, I put a post out a little while ago uh, with some of my, I'm interested in personal finance and some of the folks that, that I follow you included um, and when you think about the list, like it is mostly male, uh, dominated. Yeah. the other one, that's a woman that I follow is, um, money with Katie, which is by, uh, the morning brew, if you're not familiar, but, um, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I'll have to, I'll have to find her. Yeah. You'll have to check her out. She, um, yeah, she's, she's great too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the focus is, is great. And, um, I would definitely, you know, we'll, we'll get to some rapid fires here in a second, but definitely encourage anyone to check out you and. Uh, on some of the coaching that you do. And I know you have a yeah. uh, product and newsletter and you got a ton of shit going on. So a, a lot of what different ways yeah. you're helping people. Yeah. It's fun. I get some messages sometimes on LinkedIn. Um, I want to talk to you, but I'm a man. Will you still talk to me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will talk to you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm niching down towards uh, helping women, but I help all kinds of people and yeah. She doesn't discriminate people. Come on. You can hit her up. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So couple rapid fires for you. So the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Um, first off, I know we talked about some of the books that you would start with in personal finance, but I'm curious for you just as a person, like, are there any books, um, that have really shaped you as, as a person or your career? It doesn't have to be personal finance. It could be really any genre, but just curious if anything stands out. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, my favorite book that I love to recommend to people. So I had a job after college that I didn't like, 
I was depressed. I didn't know. Another thing that college doesn't train us for, it doesn't train us for personal finances, but it also in my, when I went to college, didn't tell me about how to think about a job and what kind of job Mm. I might enjoy. So I was super lost when I graduated from college and I had a job uh, for a while that I liked. And then I moved to my second job and I was really unhappy, lost, didn't know what to do. Called my old boss for my first job. And I think I was crying. I was like driving down the street crying. And he said, meet me at this coffee shop. We met at this coffee shop that sold books. And he went and got this book off the shelf and bought me this book and gave it to me. And it was Strengths Finder. Do you know this book? I've heard of the Strengths Finder test. So Strengths Finder is this book that comes with a test when you buy the book. Um, okay. so you read like the first three chapters and then you take this test. It's like 180 questions. I haven't done it for a few years now. It's like 180 questions that are like, what do you prefer in different situations? Like you're at a party. Do you want to be the center of like the center of the party? Or are you like hiding in the corner and ask all these kinds of questions? But anyway, it gives you your five top strengths. They, there's like 33 innate strengths that, that humans have or something like this. And it gives you your five top strengths. And then it follows up with what kinds of jobs um, what kinds of jobs you would be successful at or enjoy if you have these strengths. And it was so hauntingly accurate. And so now, um, I've always remembered that I've read it a couple of times over my career, but I love to recommend it to people because it gave me some ideas. I wish that I had read it in college about, um, not only what I might like to do, but like to stop trying to force a square peg into a round hole kind of thing. So like, it's, it's pretty much saying, don't try to do things that don't come naturally or aren't interesting to you. Find things that you do love so that you can flourish and enjoy your work and your livelihood and all this kind of thing. So Finder is a book that I love. I hold it near and dear to my heart. I think it's so helpful and everybody should read it. Mm, love that. I have, I've heard of it. I actually think I might even own the book. I just haven't read it. And so um, yeah, crack it open. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to prioritize that one. Um, yeah. What about any other res- like resources that you like to check out? If I'm not sure if you're a podcast listener, it sounds like maybe some YouTube channels, but anything yeah. that you've been getting into recently that you've been um, binging or anything like that? Um, I, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I'm like a big true crime <laughs> fan, but this is just not related. Um, so I've been, <laughs> I've been binging some like Netflix true crime stuff lately. There's this uh, really good uh, like mini series about John Wayne Gacy that I thought was really interesting. Um, okay. But yeah, I like read about the stock market all day and it's um, you know, it's probably not that, that exciting. Um, but uh, I look at like Morningstar is probably my favorite website to read about the stock market and investing. Um, I like to read Yahoo Finance a lot, but like in my personal life, I'm, um, true crime is where you spice it up. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Sometimes I realize it's like kind of a dark thing to, uh, be be consuming before I go to sleep. And so we'll try to change it up and maybe watch like Schitt's Creek or the office or something like that. But I really do, uh, I am quite attracted to true crime, which is probably not good for watching at night. (laughs) um what goes on in the jennifer welsh headphones music wise oh i'm like a really really big taylor swift fan i love her. i mean who isn't yeah i didn't like her until a fear i didn't care for her never really liked country music very much but i did it didn't start liking her until probably four years ago but like taylor swift is on um playing at our house all, all the time and 
Justin knows all the words too. <laughs> okay, we'll have to we'll have to talk to him about that sometime. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, I love it. What what's something that you like to do outside of uh work to recharge and you know get yourself like off the work yeah. page? My favorite my favorite hobby is absolutely cooking. I um did not grow up cooking. My mom doesn't really like to cook. And, uh, when Justin and I started dating, actually, I guess it was when I was about 34 ish, I started cooking a little bit for him and he was, he was really appreciative of it. And it like encouraged me to cook more. And now cooking is a hobby that I'm really passionate about. And I think it really gives you a chance to do something productive, but not think about work, like focus on something different and, you know, not, not be looking at a computer, which we do for too many hours a day already. So cooking is my favorite thing, like to find a recipe, go to the store, shop for the ingredients. And I love to like cook and put on some, really put on some Taylor Swift and drink a glass of wine Nice. several nights a week. And I, I, I really enjoy cooking. So uh, it's by far my favorite hobby. I also like running. Yeah. I love it. Um, so since you mentioned, these are two of your, uh, your other passions, traveling and, and, you know, eating and going out to places, uh, I need to know the favorite travel destination you've been to and because you lived in Chicago for four years, I need your favorite Chicago restaurant. Mm. Oh my gosh. These are like the hard, hardest questions. That you We're did hard hitting. <laughs> did not give me a heads up about this. It's really hard to choose a favorite travel destination, but I just went to Lisbon recently, Lisbon, mm. Portugal. And uh, we're living in Nashville right now, and we are very much missing fresh seafood. Lisbon seafood is incredible. Um, it's also super English speaking. So despite being in a very foreign country, it was very easy to communicate with locals who were very friendly. So we went to Lisbon a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. We loved it. Um, and my other pr- probably favorite travel destination is Japan. We've been to Japan a couple of times, and Japan's amazing. We love sushi. The hospitality is off the charts. People are so polite. Um, it's so different than the United States. So like we love Japan. We were supposed to go for the third time right when COVID started. And we had to cancel that trip. And I just heard Japan is about to open up, I think. So we'll definitely be going back there soon. Love Japan. Everybody should go to Japan at least once. Um, just incredible. Even if you don't like sushi, they have so many different kinds of food that we didn't even know about before we went to Japan. Yeah. Um, Favorite restaurant in Chicago is really hard because I haven't been there for a long time. So I'm going to change your question and I'm going to okay. tell you my favorite cocktail bar in Chicago. I'll take it. Uh, it's called the Violet Hour. It's at 1520 okay. North Damon. I know that because when I was a concierge, <laughs> I was a concierge when I lived in Chicago and I would send people there all the time. Um, but the Violet Hour is a really cool place to check out. They do serve a little bit of food, but it's like a sexy cocktail bar. Um, okay. Also, uh, my, uh, one of, one of my favorite restaurants in Chicago is called El Che. Have you been there? No. Like a steakhouse in the West Loop. You should check Ooh, it out. It's really okay. good. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. All right. This is yeah. good. This is good. I got a whole, uh, a whole Evernote file for different, uh, yeah, we're going to so have to talk have, more about that. Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my last one for the rapid fire, who do, who's someone that you want to come see on this millennial sales podcast? Hmm. Oh gosh. Um, and they can't live in the same house as you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen enough of Justin. <laughs> Just kidding. He always, he's always putting out new good stuff. Um, who would I like to see on the millennial sales, millennial sales podcast? Um, 
I, I don't know that I can say a person, but okay. I will tell you an idea instead. Okay. I don't have a person in mind, but one thing that I, uh, that I think about a lot and I talk to people about a lot is the travesty of justice that we all go to school for uh, elementary school, high school, college, whatever, for so many years, and that we don't learn anything about financial wellness, taking care of our money and taking care of our health. Um, those are two things that universally everybody has to grow up and take care of on their own and be accountable um, to Absolutely. themselves for how they manage. So, I mean, definitely more people to talk about money and practical advice, but also health, which is such a saturated space. And I don't like have anybody that comes to mind that I follow for health advice. It's like not something that I follow a lot online, but um, we need more practical tips and help and, and ideas that we can put into action um, around health and finances, I think. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't have anyone in mind, but those are two subjects that I think people, especially young salespeople that are like successful and making a lot of money, but also have a really high stress um, kind of career and work day every day um, need to learn how to take care of themselves and take care of their money. So take it in that direction, Tom. I, I love it. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, Jennifer, this has been a blast. I appreciate you coming on. We've, we've mentioned a little bit about some of the different uh, buckets you're in from coaching to uh, the product that you have to the newsletter that you put out uh, every yeah. Tuesday, which I am subscribed to. Um, so I'll give you a second just to talk about that. And uh, obviously yeah. you're posted on LinkedIn and just let folks know where they can reach you. Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on LinkedIn. My name is Jennifer Welsh, W-E-L-S-H. Um, my website is jenniferwelsh.me. And on my website, you can learn about my offerings. I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. I sell a digital product called Money School, where I talk about the basics of personal finance. Um, we cover, I cover debt, budgeting, spending, saving, and investing in that uh, kind of introductory personal finance course. Um, and I have a free newsletter that you can subscribe to also from my website. So check out jenniferwelsh.me and you can subscribe, buy Money School, book a coaching call, um, or follow me on LinkedIn from there. Awesome. Jennifer, really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. A quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, which is the Up and Up community. It is a community that I just launched with my friend, Anthony Natoli. Um, it is a private sales community that's helping you all get not only crush your sales goals and your career goals, but also trying to stay fulfilled and mentally healthy and become a better person in the process, which is easier said than done. So if that's interesting to you, head over to patreon.com slash up and up, or hit me up on LinkedIn. My name's Tom Alemo, and uh, the link will be there in my the featured section of my profile.